Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Ash Kazarian. On today's show, we have very special guests from the Technology Policy Institute. It's President Scott Wolston and Senior Fellow Sarah O. Oh. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This is our first remote recording, uh, so I really appreciate that you guys agreed to be um, the first responders, basically, to my uh, call to help uh, with a Tech Policy Podcast. Hopefully the audio would be good. I beg our listeners to stick with us. It's good that we're working on it. Um, so uh, to start off, what is the Tech Policy Institute? Um, some people even mix up tech freedom and TPI, but I think we're very different, uh, but there's definitely overlap in, um, we've worked together for years, we've known each other for years, but it's, it's different, it's definitely different organizations. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good question, and, and that's a good way to put it, Ash. I I definitely think we're um, we're complementary. We're we're all economists, um, and of course, Sarah is an economist and a lawyer, um, and so we you know, we come at it from an, an economics perspective, and all the work we do is is very empirical, uh, and. Um, we try to publish in economics peer-reviewed journals, although recognizing at the same time that that's too slow to be useful for policy in the short term. So we also engage um, in, in uh, you know, with, with more accessible uh, papers and documents and conferences and so on. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, we're really glad that, that, that you all are there because, um, you know, you have a, a kind of voice that we don't and I think vice versa. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the, the kind of the landscape that we see. Absolutely. I think um, I've always admired economists for many reasons. Um, first of all, the math skills and second, just the sheer amount of the landscape in the economical field is humongous. Obviously, law is very big uncharted territory, too, but with law, at least in my experience, you might not be an expert in a certain area, but if you know the principles and you know kind of the main rules and how the thinking is supposed to be and what questions you're supposed to ask and where you're supposed to look for answers, you can catch up on a lot of things very fast. Whereas um, in what I have gathered from the economic field, that's not how it works. Would you agree, Sarah? Um, I would say... Yes, um, in economics, there is kind of a divide between the microeconomists and macroeconomists. So one interesting thing about today is with the coronavirus um, news, um, there's both micro and macroeconomic implications. <laughs> um, so for an economist to watch what's happening right now um, is it, you know, makes you think about back to first or second year grad school classes about macroeconomics plus, you know, most economists are microeconomists. Um, so, yeah, and, and being an economist- all economists are microeconomists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing that we've been doing as economists is we've been working on um, a dashboard that looks at um, two new indices um, that we've put together incorporating Twitter sentiment. And so we hope that we could make a contribution um, 
by creating another index that tracks the economy on a daily basis. And I can explain a little bit more about um, the two indices that we made. Yes, I don't know what that word means, I'll be honest. Um, could, before we before we get into it, though, I I, I don't want I don't want Sarah to um, shortchange herself though uh, in answering your question because being a lawyer and an economist, um, she really provides a, a unique perspective uh, on on all kinds of policies that we study. And so, you know, as an economist, I'll look at something and you know, we'll do our analysis and look at the data, and Sarah will do all that too. But then also look and say, well, you know, that's actually not the way the law works, um, and it helps really keep us grounded in what's uh, what's what's the right kind of analysis and and what's not. And I think that's um, it, it's it's a it's a perspective that very few people have. Oh, absolutely. She's a unicorn in in the policy world, and um, she's too modest to talk about it. But I'm glad you mentioned it. So um, going into the dashboard and not making you blush via Zoom, Sarah. Uh, what is exactly how you're using it? Uh, what has been the data you've had coming in so far? Yeah, sure. Thanks, um, Scott. Um, yeah, just to comment on what you said, it's interesting, like talking among economists and lawyers, like bridging the two um, communities. And there's a lot of overlap. I mean, there are a lot of economists who know a lot of law and a lot of lawyers who know a lot of economics. So um, I, I think, but there's a lot to know on, on both sides. Um, in our dashboard, I can explain a little bit. We have these cool JavaScript charts um, that show kind of a timeline from the last two months, January, February, March, three months, and now going into April. Um, and, and What's novel about our economic indices is that we're incorporating Twitter sentiment. So we have like a data scientist, computer science programmer in our office, Nathaniel, and he's been downloading tweets that have the hashtag coronavirus or COVID-19. Hundreds and so, of them every day. Yes, he has to download them, all of them every day um, in order to run natural language uh, processing and machine learning algorithms on all the tweets. So you can just imagine like all the text that he's downloading and then running an algorithm on it in Python. Um, and so from that Twitter sentiment, he's, he's determining whether people are positive or negative um, in, their, in their consumer sentiment. And then we're, we're pulling that data in to um, our index, which also incorporates other metrics that are more traditional in economics. Um, and, and we're coming up with a daily tracker that can, can take the pulse of the economy. That is very helpful um, for different areas of research, I'm guessing, because you're kind of tracking the moods and the swings and overall public opinion. Um, what are the challenges that you guys have encountered when you were developing this project? Well, we wanted to do something uh, that was relevant and, and hopefully helpful. When this crisis started, like a lot of people, we felt that our, our normal day-to-day -day research, while it's, you know, it's, it's important for the long term and, and it's still interesting, it's not what people care about right now. And we wanted to somehow contribute and think of things that were useful. So we were trying to find ways of 
of looking at um, uh, finding ways of measuring the economy in real time. And of course, Twitter is a good real time measure. And so we, we sort of, we, we played around with different uh, approaches to this and, and what hashtags were useful and so on. And then one, running these, um, these text, this textual analysis that Sarah's talking about, what it can tell us and how we can combine it in interesting ways with other data that's available daily. Um, and you know, we, we ended up finding that, that not just the sentiment uh, expressed in the tweets, but kind of the standard deviation across sentiments was a good, seemed to be a good measure of uncertainty. Um, the, the wider the standard deviation across the hundreds of thousands of tweets, the greater the, um, uh, the greater the uncertainty. The other, the other, another thing that was interesting, although maybe it's not too surprising when you think about it a little bit, but uh, you can track the number of tweets along with the increase in the number of cases around the world. And as the number of cases grew, the number of tweets grew also. And weirdly, we don't have an explanation for this. Um, it seemed to track confirmed cases in Italy particularly well. And you know, I can't think of a, a reason why that would be. If anything, I would have expected it to track cases here more than anywhere else. But it's sort of, sort of an interesting, so far, regularity. It might be completely spurious, but that was just sort of an interesting little aside that, that popped out. Awesome. All right. So uh, that is definitely very important work. Uh, thank you guys for coming up with this project. I wanted to ask you, um, because, you know, we said economy, we said law, we said technology, but do you mind giving our listeners um, some areas or buckets of issues you cover? Um, start, let's start with high level and maybe we can dig into something. Sure. Uh, so, you know, for a long time, we've studied broadband issues and uh, you know, the issue everybody has to talk about and nobody wants to talk about net neutrality. Um, that's been on our plate along with every, you know, it's been on everyone's plate, but we do, we do more than that. We do lots of work on universal service and uh, digital divide issues. And then we study antitrust um, and uh, intellectual property. Uh, we've done work on piracy and privacy. Um, and, you know, we tried, we, we don't want to restrict ourselves, but we also don't want to stretch too far beyond, beyond our expertise. And I, you know, I think the, the, the main criteria is that something has to, you know, there has to be an interesting puzzle somewhere that we want to try to figure out. Um, and, and, and that's, that sort of guides our, guides our thinking. Yep. And one other area that I'm particularly interested in, we're doing more is just tracking the universal service fund. Um, and it's really wonky and a niche area of interest for economists, but at least in DC in the telecom sector, um, I think it's under researched. Um, so we spend some time, a lot of time looking at um, where the money's going and whether the outcomes are what was intended. And also, you know, Sarah, Sarah is under, underplaying her what she's what she's doing understating it because she also has put together a database of pretty much every grant that's ever been made by the um, universal service fund at least the rural uh the high cost fund um down to the recipient the individual recipient by fund um it's it's really it's an amazing effort and um 
you know, the, the, the slightly longer term plans are to have an interface that to make it available to anybody to use to, to help provide transparency. But the amount of information in that database that she's put together is just incredible. Oh, I was just looking at it this morning and thinking that, you know, it's incredible how much money is being spent and we're just not tracking it well. Um, so that's part of the motivation to, to, to have some attention on where it's going and if it's being used well. Um, my dad is a linguistics professor and he teaches dead languages. And maybe 10 years ago, he started a database of every single work um, and offer in his field, uh, which has taken him now 10 years. Uh, but I think uh, if I tell him about your database, he's going to ask me if he can adopt you because that sounds right around what he's been devoting most of his time to. Um, yeah. All right. So four years ago, when I started in tech policy, the first I've heard of TPI was uh, because of the Aspen Forum, TPI's Aspen Forum. What is the Aspen Forum? How long has it been around? Is, has it been around as long as TPI has been around? Um, sounds like it's in Colorado. Right, and it's in, it is in Aspen. Um, and this will be our 11th year coming up if we, if, if we are able to do it um, because of the coronavirus. Uh, and it's, it's meant to be a, um, very kind of rigorous discussions of, uh, you know, of, of the relevant tech policy debates and hopefully to help set the tone and the, the nature and the questions that are going to be debated in the coming winter, uh, coming fall and winter. And it's a mix of panel discussions, keynotes, speakers, uh, and um, a few off the, uh, off the record sessions because there are some issues that people want to talk about but can't if it's, if it's, if it's on the record. And we also, these, those, we call them breakout sessions and doing a few simultaneously lets us get into more detail on particular issues where people can then self-select into it. And we, we, it, we end up having about a third academics, a third government people, and a third industry. Uh, we, we always start off with a, um, a keynote by an academic. So a couple of years ago, we had Paul Romer, um, who then won the uh, Economics Nobel Prize. And of course, we're absolutely certain it was causal. He spoke at our event and then won the Nobel Prize. Um, so, you know, that's a, I hope that's a draw for others. Um, and uh, Susan Athey, who's also a star, was, was, uh, was last year. Um, and uh, I think they got, that helps set the tone for a good discussion for the, for, the whole, um, for the whole thing. Of course, this year is different. Um, and we're still planning on having Aspen, and we're still planning it. But, you know, none of us know what the future will be with the, with the coronavirus. Um, and we're, we're hopeful but we also know that people um, are worried about other things right now and just staying safe and, and trying to figure out what they're doing in these uncertain times. But if we are able to do it, we are reworking it now to have it be more of a lessons learned from the coronavirus, uh, what, what we've learned about tech and tech policy from this experience, because we're gonna have an awful lot to discuss things that went really well, um, things that didn't go well, what, what regulations did we realize were, um, were, were, were hurting development, like you know, we've seen regulations go away that have helped telemedicine um, flourish in this time, Where, what are the roles of government that we um, 
either recognize now government should be doing, what we see now the government shouldn't have been doing. And so we're hopeful that, um, well, we're hopeful that we'll be able to do it. Uh, and if we do it, I'm hoping that it will be a, a good platform for some serious discussions about what we've learned about tech and tech policy from this experience. Yeah, I really hope we will be able to meet and reassess travel by then. I would really like to travel again. Um, definitely very hopeful. I keep t the way I am going through this is telling myself, okay, another month, and then okay, another month. You know, I'm. Right. You got to separate those in your in your head. But I'm glad you guys are staying positive and trying to plan for worst and best case scenario. Um, on a lighter note, who's the most and I put famous in air quotes, but who is the most famous person that has ever been to the Aspen Forum? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, we've had Peter Thiel um, and um, Eric Schmidt have, um, have both been there. Uh, Jeff Bezos? Jeff Bezos, that's right, um, sat in the audience. Um, no, he spoke actually also, didn't he? Yeah, Jane has stories of talking to him in the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, among academics, we have, we have other stars, but, but those are extra nerdy stars. Um, so for, <laughs> for those of us who, you know, grew up reading their, their papers, um, like, like I mentioned, Paul Romer and Susan Athey, and this year, well, if we have it this year, um, Rebecca Henderson, uh, who, you know, many listeners may not know her name, but she's a, a real, she's a leader in um, thinking about uh, the economics of technological change. And, you know, for somebody who read her work as a grad student in the Industrial Organization Handbook, uh, that's really exciting to me and, uh, you know, probably to other economists. And once everyone sees her, they'll know why, why it's exciting. As a child of academics, I do appreciate that you consider them rock stars. Um, <laughs> And for your uh, tech founder, Bingo, sounds like you just need Mark Zuckerberg and maybe Elon Musk. Um, just throwing ideas and listen to the universe if any of our listeners have access to them. Um, Wait, if they know. will come, we're, we're more than happy to consider it. Let Scott know. <laughs> he will consider it. <laughs> and is there anything else, guys, you want to cover before we go into more of an outrow part of this? Um, I, I think uh, just that we're, you know, we're all in a period of of rethinking tech and tech policy. Uh, I, you know, we, before the coronavirus happened, this was, a, we, the sentiment had sort of turned very negative towards tech. And this is reminding us of all of the things that tech does well for us. Um, and also revealing issues that, um, you know, that we hadn't seen before. So I, I think uh, even once this is over, there's gonna be a, a re, you know, a, a resetting of, of lots of people's beliefs. And, and it's a way to go back and think about your priors and whether they were right or wrong. And um, that's going to be a big deal for, uh, for a lot of us. I agree. I think that, you know, we had a period when tech was the sweetheart and kind of the nerdy people who were trying to save the world and inventing these things. And then we had tech clash. Um, even if some people don't like using that word, we definitely had the negative attitudes and criticism and heavy, um, you know, heavy handed uh, approach to how we should regulate it and attempts at least at passing bills and some bills passing that were 
um, stifling innovation. And mm -hmm. my hope is that after we pass through the pandemic and hopefully as, you know, with as little damage as we can, everyone can reassess and start from, I'm not saying let's love them again. I'm not saying keep hating them, but actually from zero. Let's start from a very neutral, unbiased place again. Absolutely. Sarah, so um, Scott obviously um, is a great boss who um, sings praises to your accomplishments and your work has impressed me over the years. I think our listeners would love to hear a little more uh, for our Women in Tech segment about how you ended up doing tech policy. How do you have a JD and an economics degree? How is that even, wow, I mean, I'm never telling my parents about you because <laughs> they will never let, let go of, oh, well, you see, your friend Sarah is um, doing great. Why are you not finishing your PhD? Um, so tell our listeners, uh, how did you end up in tech policy? How did you end up um, working for Scott? Sure. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I embrace my inner nerd. I am nerdy and ever since, um, childhood. So I studied engineering in college um, and did a lot of math and some coding, not a lot. Um, but growing up in DC, I thought, you know, there's so much machinery that happens that I don't understand. So I went to law school, um, which really helped a lot um, understand why government does what it does and who can make decisions and, you know, authority structures. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I'm interested in economics. So I went to grad school for economics and in my PhD, um, I studied broadband stimulus <laughs> and collected data and just like, you know, your dad would really like this, Ash, but I like, collected all these records from the Commerce Department and created my own database. And um, yeah, so it's, it, I guess my story is just, I, I like the hard questions and empirical um, questions. So yeah, and then coming to TPI, I find like-minded people. So Scott's really nerdy and smart too. So that helps and um, you know, it, it's good to be around other people who are intellectually curious and appreciate data. So that's where I am now. That is amazing. What would you say to someone who maybe is an economist or maybe is a lawyer or maybe is a unicorn like you and has done both? What advice would you give them um, as they want to enter the tech policy space? Sure. Um, I think... One thing that I value, maybe other people don't value as much, but interesting questions that other people aren't studying. Um, I think if people can find an area where they can be the expert and obsess and know more than other people, then you're actually making a contribution to the literature. Like so you're adding something new that other people haven't looked at. Um, and so I think that that's, interesting to me to meet people who have studied an, an area that no one else has studied and that's relevant. I mean, it, it can't just be some obscure like question, but so that's kind of what motivates like 
the dashboard and other projects that we're doing um, to provide value where other people haven't studied an important, relevant question. Wonderful. Um, I'm going to link to obviously TPI and the work, the dashboard and other things you guys mentioned in the show notes. And uh, tell our listeners uh, if you have Twitter or any other uh, websites where they should go to to connect with you or find your work. Thanks, Ash. And I'm excited to hear you finishing your dissertation. All right. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please leave us a review because I know you're stuck at home and you have nothing else to do. So please leave us a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you're listening to podcasts. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.